The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tenney, Education Director at the Federation, and I'm joined today by Maria Gallagher, our Acting Executive Director. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much, Remo. It's great to be with you today. And today is Valentine's Day. And uh, before we kick us off, uh, do you want to share what happened to you this morning, Maria? Yes, I was in church and I felt my phone vibrate and something told me it was an important message. So um, I, I quickly looked down at my phone And it was a greeting from my daughter who is overseas. And it just said, happy Valentine's Day. And it just made my day. It was just so wonderful to hear from her. And uh, I sent her uh, this this lovely, um, oh, it it was a, a gift card that was animated. And it said, you are so loved. And that's the truth for me. She is so loved. She's the light of my life. And I'm so very happy that I had her. That is so beautiful. I know today is especially geared towards love between a man and a woman, uh, uh, but romantic love. But uh, we still have um, the fruit of that love, right? Uh, Children. And so we definitely celebrate children on Valentine's Day as well. Uh, Now, uh, about today's uh, guest, today we are having Michael Kenny from Pro-Life Partners Foundation. And through the Alliance Building Financial Support and Best Practices, Pro-Life Partners Foundation optimizes resources and proceeds strategically. So we will be talking more about what they do, and especially more uh, with our guest, Michael Kenny. Uh, but before we uh, start off, I, I do want to talk about... Um, Today being Valentine's Day, we had uh, Maria share her story, but I also want to talk about another true story about young love, a devastating tragedy, and the miracle that followed. So this story was featured today uh, by Live Action on their website, and it is the story of Nate and Mariana, who met while studying at the Franciscan University in Ohio and got married in October last year. Now, tragically, On the third day of their marriage, while on their honeymoon, Nate died in a water skiing accident. Mariana and her family were devastated by the loss, and uh, they prayed that his life would be restored. But that was not to be. So Mariana had lost her new husband and her best friend, and Nate's parents, Heather and Gordon, had lost their only child. Now, Mariana had prayed for Nate to survive and to come back to her. And they had involved a lot of people. Um, they had sent out messages to friends asking them to pray uh, while the CPR was happening, while he was in the hospital. But that prayer was seemingly unanswered. But somebody suggested to her, what if you're pregnant? And that's the way the Lord answers our, your prayers and our prayers. Now, uh, that is 
too much to hope for, but um, we weeks went by and Mariana and her family who were grieving the loss of Nate um, continued on. Uh, and on Thanksgiving day last year, that's about a month later, Mariana decided to take a pregnancy test. And would you know it, to her joy and surprise, it was positive. The story talks about uh, how she did not expect it because uh, all the signs pointed to her, especially on the day of her wedding. She she talked about how there was no way that she could have gotten pregnant. And yet, to her surprise and joy, the test turned out to be positive. Now, this joy that she had was not hers alone. Uh, it continues to talk about when Nate died. His parents, Heather and Gordon, thought their hope of being grandparents had died with him. And so uh, his, uh, his father says, I've been excited about being a grandparent when they, when they were getting married and to have that restored when we thought it was lost, just that overwhelming joy. Now, I, I, I want to share this story with you all. You can read the full story on live action. Um, they talk about uh, their, the journey that Mariana and Nate had uh, in, in coming together and also the journey that she had to take um, after his passing. But Mariana is expecting her baby in July of this year. And I'm and I can't just I just can't stop thinking about what a beautiful thing to expect the fruit of marital love, as we were talking about earlier, and uh, also to have Nate live on through this child. And this is another profound testimony to the unspeakable value of a human being, an unborn human life that not just uh, that not that not just uh, includes this one person, but a generation that is to come through this person. So that's the story for today to celebrate both love and the beauty of unborn human life. And with that, Maria will share with us about the effectiveness of using fetal models in lobbying for life. Thank you so much, Remmel. I've often thought that a true-to-life image of an unborn child is worth a thousand words. But what if thousands of fetal models appeared in the corridors of power? It's a scene that could leave one utterly speechless. That was the case recently in Minnesota, when Minnesota Citizens Concerned for Life, also known as MCCL, held its March for Life. As MCCL Legislative Associate Ellie Cox tells it, the event's theme this year was 12,000 too many. We had participants place fetal models on display frames, which were then carried to the Capitol steps for all to see and later into the rotunda, Cox said. All 12,175 lives lost in Minnesota in 2022 were represented and the fetal models were the correct demographic as well as developmental size, Cox added. I wish I had been there to view the display in person, but the photographs definitely capture the breadth and scope of the event. It was a scene impossible to ignore, as the media reports clearly indicate. For the first time in 50 years, the Minnesota media acknowledged that thousands turned out for the March for Life, Cox noted. Now, it seems to me that many, many people are unaware of the sheer numbers of abortions in their states and nationwide. Moreover, the preborn child often gets lost in the discussion of so-called reproductive rights. 
One of my predecessors in the pro-life movement had a saying, remember the victims. When lawmakers, reporters, and rank-and-file citizens are confronted with thousands of fetal models, they may begin to understand why advocates for life are so diligent and dedicated to their cause. We cannot ignore the suffering of the innocent. To do so is to lose a little of our own humanity. A fetal model is indeed worth a thousand words and equals a thousand reasons to be pro-life. Remmel. Wow, that is powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Now, on to our guest. A writer, producer, educator, and lawyer, Michael has advocated for preborn human beings and their families for more than 40 years. He currently serves as the president of Pro-Life Partners Foundation, and he has practiced law for the 13 years before holding various cabinet-level roles in Catholic higher education for nearly 20 years. His film credits include Unplanned and Pray, the, so the Story of Patrick Payton. He has published numerous articles and co-authored in God We Trust, Morally Responsible Investing, the story behind a pro-life mutual fund with more than $2.5 billion under management. Michael holds undergraduate and law degrees from the University of Notre Dame and a Master's of Law from the George Washington University Law School. So we are very, very glad and excited uh, and honored that Michael is here with us today to talk more about his pro-life work, especially uh, the work of Pro-Life Partners Foundation. So welcome, Michael, to Positively Pro-Life. Well, I am so honored to be here and so edified and encouraged by your, your opening presentations were so inspiring. So thank you for the invitation. We are absolutely thrilled that you are here with us and that you can also inspire us and, and share with us uh, what you have done. Um, so can you tell, can you start us off by telling us more about what the Pro-Life Partners Foundation does? Sure, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Pro-Life Partners Foundation is the brainchild of some very talented business people who have supported the pro-life movement for decades. And about, oh, just under four years ago, they discern that there's an opportunity for an independent third party to try to help the entire movement. And their thinking was, uh, maybe we could serve the movement by doing movement-wide initiatives, such as uh, how to have coherent messaging, um, how to encourage best financial practices, how to think through ways in which we can... Um, support organizations through economies of scale, such as uh, would it be possible to provide, let's say health insurance for the people who are involved in, there are over 3000 pregnancy help centers alone, but then all the hundreds of apostolates such as yours, you know, maybe there's a way to create a model where we can uh, provide some of the basic infrastructure that uh, such as human resources. So these are all very ambitious ideas, and our, our website uh, illustrates an opening uh, illustration of that. Uh, it's a matching grant program with four national entities, in, including Live Action, who you mentioned at the beginning of the show. And uh, the idea there was to uh, provide them with a, an incentive to create an endowment for their entities, similar to what universities do. So uh, currently we're involved in a, a massive messaging project that is uh, research-based. 
and would love to come back on your program in a, in a couple of months when we're ready to roll out that campaign. But we're, we're very encouraged by um, what we have so far. And we we believe that, uh, God willing, this messaging campaign will inspire uh, all of America to, to return to the, the principles uh, that you and Maria have so well articulated up front about the distinct nature of every human being and how that human being represents generations to come. That's just terrific. And you talk about coherent messaging. And I run into um, this issue with uh, members of our state uh, legislature all the time. And they said that their messages are, are just drowned out by the pro-abortion messaging and how clever it is and, and how um, they're able to win in, in so many instances. So tell me a little bit more about why it's so important that the pro-life movement has coherent messaging. Well, uh, we have this beautiful opportunity now, Maria, because the Roe versus Wade decision has been rightly overturned. Up until that happened, there was a constitutional right, of course, wrongly decided, but a constitutional right to prevent the introduction of other ideas that uh, that the pro-life movement has, you know, so so uh, ardently strive uh, tried to do. But now uh, that the Supreme Court overruled that, they said that was a quote egregiously wrong decision, which of course it was. Um, we now are in a position to educate the public. You know, for the last half century, people have been brainwashed into thinking that there is this um, unfettered right to end the life of a preborn human being. So now we really have to be thinking as a movement, okay, how do we respond to this? And uh, we were fortunate to partner with a number of organizations that have done extensive research. You know, the other side over 50 years ago began with mastering the language. Uh, at some time, perhaps we could have a program where we just talk about that. But there's a California medical article from 1970, which says, you know, our culture will never accept the taking of an unborn human being's life. Everybody knows that life begins at conception. I'm I'm almost quoting from that article. And therefore, they'll never accept that we're killing, they use that word, uh, a, a human being. So we have to change and we're going to use, they said, linguistic gymnastics, Maria, to... Mm. Uh, literally persuade people, and I would say to propagandize people into losing their uh, common language. So so now we're at a point where we, we really need to return to the truth of the matter and then do so in a very winsome, Lincoln-like way. Uh, and, uh, and and therefore, you know, uh, we're hopeful that, that this messaging project we're working on will be something that everyone can just pick up and utilize and repeat as any really great you know, sort of secular advertising campaign would be. Uh, we have the truth on our side. It's a matter of presenting it in a compelling way. That's right. Um, now, you were talking about how abortion was introduced as a constitutional right under Roe. So talking about Roe, you remember when Roe was, when Roe uh, legalized abortions back uh, in 1970, in the 1970s, and you have, uh, you also got to witness Roe being overturned. So can you talk to us a little bit about that journey of yours, your personal journey? Oh, that's very kind of you to ask. So I, I happened to hear the announcement of that ruling within moments of it. At that time, there were only three television stations, 
And those channels had what was a brand new idea at that time. It was called breaking news, you know. And for us, that seems, uh, you know, old old news. But uh, so Walter Cronkite uh, interrupted his regularly scheduled 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time evening news with the announcement that the Supreme Court had overturned Roe versus Wade. I happened to be at a family, uh, kind of a late uh, Christmas party on that Monday, uh, January 22nd, 1973. I was a freshman in high school. My uncle uh, came off the elevator and announced this, and I was completely devastated because I I, I just had this sense, this is the end of our nation uh, because it not only harms women and children, but it ultimately uh, totally undermines the natural law principles upon which we're based. And so the notion that we are created equal, we're endowed by God with inalienable rights. So... I've had the privilege of being involved in various projects over the last half century, uh, and uh, that was my main sort of motivation for going to law school was to try to deconstruct and clarify. And uh, the last article I wrote in law school was called On Behalf of Life, and it, it argued that the 14th Amendment provides the pathway to protect all human beings, which, of course, is true. And so one of our messaging campaigns will be about that. In terms of the Dobbs decision, I was um, tracking the uh, announcements from the Supreme Court with a person who I hope you can have as a guest sometime, perhaps you have already. His name is David B. Wright. He's one of the finest uh, pro-life leaders in the nation. And he was calling me on a regular basis because I was at a conference. Uh, we then wanted to launch a, a national webinar, which Pro-Life Partners and David B. Wright did a few days later. Uh, so. So, so that's that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. But uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of um, great joys along the way. And who are some of your pro-life heroes? Oh, excellent! Well, there's a a, a professor at Notre Dame who has now passed away, uh, who who I would encourage your audience to go on the internet and look up anything that he has written. His name is Professor Charles Rice, affectionately referred to as Charlie by most people, but just a genius of a man and a saint of a person. And uh, he wrote so eloquently and so coherently. So that's who I studied under in law school when Roe was less than 10 years old at that time. So if there's anything coherent I say, it's because of him. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had the um, interesting privilege of meeting Dr. Bernard Nathanson before he converted and after. And um, that's a whole nother story. But uh, he he is the leading medical proponent that enabled abortion to be legalized and then became one of the greatest pro-life advocates. Uh, and then, you know, Mildred Jefferson, the first African-American uh, to graduate, uh, African-American woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School, you know, was an eloquent spokesperson on behalf of life. And um, uh, th there are so many Um uh, and then all of you today are very inspiring, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that you've walked among some giants, some pro-life giants <laughs> yes. in the past 50 years. So um, now coming back to the constitu constitutionality um, that Roe provided, or like the argument, what what would your what is the best argument against that, especially now that Roe has been overturned? How can we restore uh, the idea or the truth, rather, that abortion is not a constitutional right? So during the 1972 oral argument, 
the justices asked Sarah Weddington, the youngest person ever to argue before the Supreme Court, the question that if we apply the 14th Amendment to the preborn child, your case collapses. And if you listen to the audio, she sort of has this uh, almost um, adolescent giggle about herself, you know, like, yes, you've got me. I'm, I'm caught. That's it. So uh, the Supreme Court needs to return to that question. Uh, in 73, when they wrote the decision, they said, well, there's a little bit of lack of consensus about when life begins. So that leaves open the uh, ability to say, well, uh, there is uh, no, 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 no question about the beginning of life and therefore uh, the 14th Amendment, which, of course, that was introduced so that never again would our society exclude a member of the human race from equal protection under the law. Uh, it's a very straightforward, very just, very appropriate concept. And so um, that, that's the answer. And, and, and the Supreme Court needs to, needs to have the courage to, to provide that protection for preborn human beings. And we need to educate our fellow Americans about that reality. Speaking of education, I know a number of groups, including our local county-based chapters, that have movie nights. And uh, foremost among those movies is Unplanned. Can you tell us about that experience of being involved with that and what that meant to you? Well, I receive way too much credit for that, but the producers say that but for my involvement, the film would not have been made. I only say that because... This is how God works, I think, and also because really the people associated with pro-life partners and others are the ones who deserve all the credit. But I, I have uh, an interest in influencing the culture in a pro-life way in any way possible, and therefore a number of years I was invited to a retreat in Hollywood, and people got to know the, the fact that I was trying to create edifying films to advance the culture of life. When the script was available on Unplanned, of course, it could never be made in a conventional way in Hollywood. Someone said, call this person in Michigan because he may have an idea of what to do. And so uh, they called me and I said, uh, the only way that I could possibly try to support a project of this would be if I read the script and I'm convinced that you're not taking any license with the story because the first thing that the opposition will do is say, oh, that's an exaggeration. So they said, well, we don't give the script out. We can't do that. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And they're like, who is this person? <laughs> and so they sent me an embargoed copy of the script. I couldn't put it down. I realized it completely matched with what Abby Johnson had written in her book, Unplanned. And I invited people to provide the funding uh, that made that uh, story go. And, 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 and it's a terrific film um, in, in a fair world. Ashley Bratcher, who plays Abby Johnson, would have won Best Actress. Uh, just a fantastic portrayal. Uh, so thank you for, for mentioning that. Yes, and I mean, as part of that brilliant performance in, in the movie, we also saw the real effects that abortion has on women, right? And that, and that movie plainly showed it. Uh, a lot of the things that you don't hear that women undergo after having had an, a, a chemical abortion or even or a surgical abortion, like the devastating emotional psychological effects. But um, right now we have a situation where a lot of, uh, I mean, again, the news media and uh, the linguistic gymnastics that is happening, uh, they claim that abortions, lo abortion laws harm women. Now, 
let's talk a little bit about that. What, how, how would you refute that? Well, first of all, I would agree with it uh, because half the w people who die in an abortion are are females, right? So they do harm women, and they 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 uh, directly end the life of a young little girl. And uh, so, and then secondly, I would say uh, uh, abortion laws uh, uh, harm women directly in terms of the, their physical, psychological, and social. But I, I presume what you're saying is that the the abortion side is saying that our effort on the pro-life side to restrict abortions is harming women. Yes. And so I would then go on to say, well, um, first of all, uh, there, 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 uh, the, the statistics show that over 80%, perhaps much higher than 80% of women uh, who have an abortion have said that they felt pressured to, some felt coerced to, we know this to be the case, and, and therefore, you know, eight or maybe as high as nine out of 10 abortions are imposed on women. Uh, so efforts to provide them with uh, informed consent, efforts to uh, support them with alternatives is uh, directly helping women who eight to nine out of 10 would prefer to have an option, would prefer to know that they could follow their maternal instincts and have their child. Uh, so uh, these are these are uh, you're right uh, linguistic uh, sort of traps that uh, there, there's no question that the pro-life movement is uh, there to help women whatever decision they made, but most importantly to try to rescue them from making a decision that uh, we know a vast majority of them regret at, at some level, and um, and and so. We need to kind of, I think, return our culture to the reality that, first of all, there are two people involved, and um, it's never just to end the life of an innocent human being. And whatever encumbrances are associated with allowing that human being to live uh, can be accommodated and need to be accommodated. We've got about a minute and a half left, and I'm wondering if you can say, what is your hope for the pro-life movement? Well, my hope is that we have these kinds of conversations that we are able to um, sort of comfortably uh, collaborate. I think there's a combination of wanting to allow for the organic uh, activity that happens through subsidiarity, uh, but also a certain amount of solidarity where we're coming together as we do for the March for Life and National Celebrate Life Day now is in uh, June. And it, these are beautiful pictures of celebrating uh, who we truly are as Americans. And when we do that, the, the spirit of the authentic spirit of America, the authentic understanding of created equal will restore our nation. Fine words from Michael Kenny of Pro-Life Partners Foundation. Thank you for being on Positively Pro-Life today. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you for all the good work you're doing. Thank you. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State, with more than 40 local county-based chapters. We shine a spotlight on the most vulnerable individuals, from the very dawn of life to the twilight of life. Thank you for joining us for the program today. It wouldn't be the same without you. We are grateful for your support. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.